Welcome to another edition of the Engineering Leadership Podcast, where we bring together successful C-suite executives to explore their stories at the intersection of leadership and engineering. We believe leaders are built, not born. And by nailing the constants, we can build strong, engineering-focused leaders who are prepared for future success. Each interview was led by Doug Hawk, chemical engineer, business executive, and the creator of Engineering Leadership. I'm Ben Fanning. Let's get started. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Engineering Leadership. I have Varendra Vase here, who's an angel investor, technology advisor, and executive coach. He previously worked as an executive with Salesforce, Yahoo, and Life360. Varendra is a computer engineer, and he chose the topic of humility. And here are three of the ideas you can expect in the episode today. Number one, humility sets a good leader apart from the rest. Number two, vulnerability is the greatest measure of courage, and great leaders use humility to inspire shared vision. Humility is not a sign of weakness. Humility is a sign of strength. Enjoy. Hello, I'm Doug Hawk, uh, your host for Engineering Leadership. I appreciate everybody joining us for another episode today. Um, you know, as you know, we bring together successful engineering leaders from across all kinds of industry and technologies. We certainly have a, a, a proven executive with us today that has a, a, an amazing background across companies like Life360, Patreon, Salesforce, Yahoo, um, and today serves as an advisor to some of those companies and also an investor and uh, an angel investor and also uh, just a, uh, an incredible technical leader who today has chosen to talk, talk to us about um, one of our key constants, which is humility. Um, as you know, we break down what we believe is an incredibly complex topic around leadership into, you know, sort of uh, solvable bits. And uh, we use these foundational constants to do that. Um, you know, our mindset is that leaders are built, not born, and that we can all work to improve our leadership skills and our capabilities. And uh, that's our goal here is to help all of us do that and get better at, at the craft and to learn from those who have a long track record of, of doing it successfully. So thank you for joining us, Verinda, and uh, excited to have you today. And maybe just kick us off by saying, you know, why humility? Um, what makes that one of the most important constants to you in, in your leadership approach? Excited to be here, Doug. Um, you know, humility is, is one of those characteristics of the leader, I'd say, um, because it's been extremely important to me, not because necessarily I have exhibited it all the time, but it's one that I found to be um, one that sets great leaders from good leaders. You know, um, I've seen so many leaders that make it about themselves. Um, here in Silicon Valley, that I spent my entire professional career, you know, there's a lot of ego and pride. And I can tell you the leaders that have impressed me the most are the ones with the smallest ego and they're not making it about themselves. You know, leaders that care more about how the folks on their team that are, how they are doing rather than what they can do for them tend to be the ones that people remember and have a lasting legacy. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's, it's you know, I'd, I'd always said there's a, there's a fine line between having pride in your work and being prideful in your work, right? And I think that's, yeah. you know, it's, really it's good. Uh, 
and I talk a lot about humility in that sense of not, um, you know, not, not diminishing what you are or who you are or what you can do or what you've done, but, but always recognizing that, you know, everyone you work with uh, in one form or another and, and, and contribute in different ways, you know, has every bit as much potential as you do. And, you know, the real job of a leader is to find that potential in them, help them develop it, help them advance it. And, you know, the, the amount of engagement and, and uh, effort, you know, you can get in that type of relationship is far, far more than you could ever command by, you know, simply being in charge. Totally, totally. You know, again, the words as you were talking about, you know, this whole aspect of being an autocratic leader, and I've had my fair share earlier parts of my career of being an autocratic leader. And just from a software development perspective, I think, I don't know which one came first. I don't know if it's me having teenagers or uh, or agile, but I think a lot of the agile concepts from a software perspective tend to embody this whole aspect of humility and collaboration that I think are, is extremely you know, extremely useful and probably important when it comes to leadership. Yeah. How do you see, um, you know, I, I was reading some of your, your writings on Medium and um, I thought you, I thought you touched on an excellent connection that for me is, I think helps sort of illuminate humility. And that was vulnerability, right. And, and the fact that, uh, you know, being vulnerable can be such a, such a gift and such a, advantage when working with your teams and and dealing with challenges and you know having that sense of self-awareness which you also talked about I think is a is an excellent component of that but um, do you feel like you know some degree of vulnerability is absolutely essential to really embracing humility and and using it productively yeah uh, you know it was very really interesting uh, this whole aspect of vulnerability I think they're very closely related. And um, important, I would say. Um, in, in many ways, I think, you know, Doug, I think it goes against the grain of society, you know, because uh, we think, you know, again, e- even from a gender perspective, I think there's this thing where people talk about men being, you know, strong and, you know, but I think vulnerability is a sign of strength. In fact, uh, Brene Brown is one of my, uh, uh, I don't know, um, authors that I've listened to quite a lot. And uh, she defines vulnerability. She has some great talks on vulnerability. She says, vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. Vulnerability is not weakness. It's our greatest measure of courage. And I think that's just like, you know, it's just, has helped me as a leader towards the latter part of my career. I started doing that. In fact, there's a book by the name of um, called Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. And um, she talks about how the best leaders make everyone smarter. And uh, there was one quality I think I remember, uh, I don't know, because I took my team through this. And it said, when they interviewed a lot of these multipliers, they talked about this one quality of vulnerability that leaders exhibited that helped them be multipliers versus diminishers. And it was this quality of vulnerability to be able to stand up and say as a leader, hey, here's where I messed up. Here's where I didn't do it right. 
it allows people to show uh, see a leader that is human where mistakes are okay and so i think that's a sign of humility that's a sign of vulnerability that says hey here's a person that i can relate to and then it allows this dispels this whole aspect of i think in the corporate in corporate america that can be fear based you know that's the in antithesis of humility in some ways right right you know i think i, I think you're actually right i i actually I, I love that book. We'll we'll reference it in the show notes. But yeah, the the multipliers by Wiseman is is really good. I thought she hit on several of these topics in ways that, um, and I think are examples of just how important and impactful uh, leadership of this kind can be to a company or to a team or to a community for that matter. In terms of um, you know really connecting with people in in ways that you know takes everyone to a, a higher level. Right. Yeah, totally. And it is a multiplicative effect, right? It's not one plus one equals two. It's, you know, two times infinity equals as much as you can possibly put together. Right. And it's, it's a, I think that's an essential element of, of great leadership and something that, you know, we don't, you know, we don't learn a lot about this in, in our formal training as engineers. Right. And I think it's also, Part of what we've talked about a little bit on this series is the fact that, you know, as engineers, we're, we're trained to get the answer and, uh, you know, and, and to be right. And um, the fact that a lot of times leadership is in particularly humility in some of these areas of leadership we're talking about today, um, you know, essentially requires you to, to be comfortable uh, and vulnerable being wrong and, yeah. and owning that yeah. and, and being you know, humble about that assertion, but also comfortable with, with being wrong, which can be tough as an engineer when you're, you know, trained from the beginning to get the answer and get it right. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, you know, extremely important. And I think it, as I look back and going, hey, what would I, what would I tell a young Virendra in some ways when it comes to what you're talking about, you know, getting it right and, uh, as engineers, I would say there's a lot, Doug, that we've been trained with the left side of our brain. You know, again, at the risk of being stereotypical, I would say if you took engineer and male, you know, into the equation, now you have an extremely left-brained activity. And I have found that the people that are, for lack of a better word, most successful in my teams are the ones that can integrate both the left and right side of our brain, which, you know, the whole aspect of emotional intelligence, vulnerability, courage, humility, you know, are aspects that are integrating the right side of our brain, but it's not something that we've necessarily been trained about. So it's a, it's like a skill that you have to really develop. Was there a moment for you, Verendra, where, you know, I, I guess I would ask this in a, and I'm sensitive to it, but, you know, was, did you come to this understanding um, proactively or did you hit the wall on something and realize like, you know, I've, I've got to, I've got to approach this with a different uh, perspective than I have in the past. Like what was your most important kind of learning moment around humility and how you integrated it into your leadership style? Uh, good question. You know, um, I think I start out, you know, thinking I'm conquering the world and I'm kind of, the best thing out there. And <laughs> I think it's through probably failures um, 
that you learn. I think I've had my best learning where if a startup doesn't work out or you think you made this most amazing decision and it turns out not to be true, or I'd say the biggest aha may have been through 360 feedbacks, you know, well, I think I'm this most amazing leader and I get this 360 feedback that says, well, you're kind of the way you show up. It isn't quite, you know, I would say multiplier, you know, in fact, uh, at the risk of being vulnerable, let me give you how I would show up. <laughs> okay. And it right. says here, and again, you know, it says the first type of the diminishes drain intelligence, energy, and the capability from ones around the room. They are idea killers, energy sappers, and diminishes of talent and commitment. So in the beginning, Doug, it would be all about me. How do I become, you know, climb the corporate ladder? How do I build my empire, right? Rather than building people. So right. I would say, Doug, if I had to look at, there were um, a couple of 360s that got in a row that I go, wow, I really need to kind of look at this, right? And it's not about, um, it's not about myself. Um, and I would say that made the light bulbs go off. And then I, in some ways, I think putting this goal of going, hey, this is how I want to be experienced as a person. You know, there's a there's a part that Daniel Goldman talks about emotional intelligence. And it's like, it's not about who I think I am. It's how the people around me experience me. And then I started putting this going, here's the kind of person I want to be like. Hey, when I walk into the room, light bulbs go off people's heads. Ideas flow. Problems get solved. I want to be able to inspire people to stretch themselves, to deliver the results, surpass expectations, right? And so I would say, yeah, 360s really kind of go, aha. Uh -huh. And it's probably maybe 10, 15 years into my career, you know what I mean? Um, had some failures and going, okay, I, 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 what sort of legacy do I want to build? Do I want to have people say, oh, Verinder just makes it all about himself? Or it's like, it's awesome because he makes it about me. Yep. Well, and I think it, I, 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 thank you for sharing that. And I think it's, really important to our basic philosophy here at engineering leadership which is you know this is why we believe you know leaders are built not born right because we're we all have strengths and weaknesses we're all you know come to leadership with with certain perspectives and and uh, you know experiences that have sort of driven us in a certain direction and in many ways you know it's 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 getting through those moments that of realizing, you know, what, what got you here won't get you to where you want to go. Right. So it's, Oh yeah. You know, That's a good one. Yeah. You know, it's still being comfortable and excited about what you've been able to do, but recognizing that anything you've been able to accomplish as an individual, you know, pales in comparison with what you can hopefully help a team achieve. Um, but that starts by setting yourself aside and, and putting the team first. And, and I think, you know, one of the other things you wrote about was, you know, getting to know your your teammates on a on a personal level, and you know, making sure that you know it's that old statement. You know, no one really cares what you have to say until they know you care about them. And yeah. I think that that boils down a lot of this too, where you know, making sure that it's particularly early in the career. You know, when you've you're you're an individual contributor, sort of. That's how most of us started out. We had a particular job to do. We had tasks or projects to complete. 
And we, you know, we achieved our, our recognition by get doing those well um, and either getting them done, you know, early or on time or under budget, uh, you know, and it was very much, you know, an individual effort. And I think, you know, learning to be a good leader is, is recognizing that, you know, hard work and discipline and effort are certainly crucial to everybody's success, but it's, it's shifting that focus from what you can do to what can I help the team achieve? Right. Which, which also, and that's why I think humility is so critical to the, to that transition from, you know, contributor to leader, or even in many cases, you know, we have poor leaders who might be managers, but they'll never be leaders. Right. Um, Because they, they don't, they don't, lift the rest of the team up and, and sort of take them out, take themselves out of the central, central role. Right. Yeah, no, totally agree with you. You know, in fact, you know, if you think about the word humility, uh, you know, it, it comes in fact, humble and humility kind of are the same root word called humilis, which is a Latin for low or close to the ground. And, you know, you touched on it earlier, Doug, where it's not about thinking less of yourself. Right, because you know, um, I, I think sometimes people can confuse, especially in corporate America, which is, oh, this person's humble, which means they lack self-confidence, and I, and I think it's not true. In fact, I think the most confident leaders, you know, the most humble leaders are the most confident leaders, because then it's not about me figuring out what my accomplishments are. I'm totally comfortable in who I am, right? And the more I can shine the light on someone else, the better it's going to be because they are going to be, you know, people, they're going to be producing a lot more. They're going to be highly productive. And as an engineering leader, and as you grow, you know, and you get into the executive teams and boardrooms, I mean, what's the, the leader is all about the team. It's not really about me. How can I inspire shared vision? And you do that, you know, by shining the light on somebody else. So I think as a leader, I have found for me, I need to be sure about what I'm about, right? I've got, I have to be confident who I am, my self-worth. And then I have to ask myself, hey, what's my view of people? You know, are they there to serve me or am I there to serve them in, in some ways? Yeah. Yeah, I, I like to say that, you know, most, if not, if not all, but most good things and successes that I've had personally have, have all started with uh, an effort to help somebody or to help a situation. But, um, you know, that, and it's, I didn't appreciate that until, you know, 20, 30 years into this journey. But, um, you know, when I looked back on the most rewarding successes I'd had on the most, you know, outright sort of valuable successes I'd had. um, And I sort of said, well, you know, what was the catalyst or the initial step along that journey? And, most of the time it was uh, looking for a way to help and, yeah. you know, and things flowed from that versus, absolutely, you know, trying to achieve something specific for me. Right. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what, uh, so I was going to ask you something and this does get maybe a little technical, but not necessarily. How, do you think humility has played a, a role in your ability to get through multiple cycles of technology and still be, you know, successful, both tech, you know, relevant, successful. And I mean, when I look at your, your career going from something like, you know, Unisys in your early days as an engineer, as, you know, a, 
and we think about the state of software and technology at that point, right? Versus yeah. now completely cloud, all mobile, you know, sort of, I, so I, and I'm oversimplifying dramatically, but I think about a little bit about your professional journey from sort of mainframe to mobile, you know, and you yeah. think about the waves of technology it took for that, that life cycle to unroll. And you've, you've had success at each, each wave of, of that technology with technological change. Um, is, is humility necessary to continual learning and, and relevancy? You know, um, I, I would, I, I'm going to say absolutely. Uh, and I wish I'd learned this lesson earlier. Um, mostly because when you're sitting where I'm sitting, not that I'm like way over the hill, but I'm definitely a lot further down my career than right. when I'm first starting. Um, because I think about legacy right now. What did I leave? Who are the people I worked with? I mean, you don't, I mean, okay, so I did this multi-million dollar contract at Yahoo, you know, with the CEO at that time and uh, took hundreds of, you know, really thousands of engineers projects and stuff for that. But right now, it's about the people I worked with. How did I show up in many ways? And so uh, I referred to it earlier. I think as I look back and I think about Unisys and then, you know, as software development changed, and um, I'd say my time at Salesforce was pretty pivotal, I would say, in some ways. I was working at a company called Jigsaw, and we got, you know, it was, it was Salesforce's biggest acquisition at the time. Now, of course, it's it, they're buying billion-dollar companies, they, but they bought, they bought my company, you know, at the time, and they, um, they were very successful at using Agile, right? And if you read their story, you know, and I was at Parker Harris, was the founder of Salesforce, and they struggled. Their, their software was extremely buggy, and they didn't develop software for a year, and they switched everything to Agile. And if you look at Agile, Agile's really, you know, if you really look at the tenets of Agile, it's about, you know, it's all about the team. And so I would say that has been really pivotal from a software development perspective, where they make it all about the team. In fact, we switched all our awards from individual awards to team awards, right? Which was the scrum team that, uh, you know, was the most successful, which was the most successful. Then people are not necessarily thinking, hey, how am I going to be successful? It's how are we going to be successful? And I think it really comes down to that aspect of humility. Hey, how can I, you know, it's not about, hey, you know, am I going to be successful? No, how are we going to be successful, Right. And so I'd say that I've seen that shift from a software since you referred from a software development perspective. And so then I took that over to all the companies, you know, and a big agile proponent, you know, it's kind of one of my one of my things that I usually do and usually train everybody, train all my leaders. And it starts with me. It starts with the leadership. How do you view people? Right. I, I think when it says everything begins and ends with leadership, I totally agree with you. And so um, I would say Agile was a big one. So it's probably now about a good 10 years, 10, 15 years since I've seen that wave in all the startups, all the companies here in the Valley. I think Agile's definitely helped people see that. Because even now when you go talk to people, people are looking for leaders that are able to, you know, inspire vision. You know, no one wants to see the, the leader be all about himself herself or themselves yeah. yeah i agree it's it's uh 
Yeah, we have we have all kinds of leadership out there, and certainly there's plenty of toxic leadership too that uh, you know occurs for a variety of reasons. But it it does come back. I mean, I was uh, I was reading an HBR article this week about uh, you know basically ego being the enemy, and uh, you know I often think about humility as the antidote to ego run amok, right? And and it's yeah, it's not that not that you know, having ego is, is bad. It's, it's all about the balance. And like we talked about, not, not, uh, you know, lowering yourself down or thinking less of yourself, but it's simply, you know, keeping that in balance. And I totally agree with the statement you made earlier that the, the most confident people are often the most vulnerable because they're the most comfortable with yes. themselves. And, uh, you, you know, you've, you've written too about, you know, self-awareness and how everybody thinks they're self-aware until they get perhaps a, a might, they might have a perception of self-awareness, but uh, it might be radically different than the truth. And it might be quite different than their external awareness, right? In terms of how they show Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I talk about, in one of my articles I wrote, self-awareness is internal versus external self-awareness. You know, what do you think? How do you think you show up versus how do other people experience you? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so a little bit of personal history. How did you how did you get from Pune to uh, Clemson? Like, what was what? Uh... <laughs> yeah, that is you know again. Um, I would say that's kind of quite a. I, I think back because now I'm on the West Coast and I've been on the West Coast, you know, since 1989. So it's a good 31 years. Right after I left Clemson, and I go, there aren't been many people who know Clemson. Of course, now that we're, you know, in the limelight for the last five years or so, uh, for sure, everyone over here knows Clemson. But it was a journey. I think I was just looking for. At that time, there was no internet at all, so I'm going, you know, um, traveling by train, looking at books to find out what uh what is the U.S. like, and it's just amazing to see how far. Internet's come, how far I come. I obviously thinking of it as an absolute blessing in some ways that I had no idea what my life would be like. And so I just was pursuing a master's in computer engineering at the time. And uh, I had somebody who said, hey, man, these people are really good. And, you know, uh, it's a great, um, great program. I literally had no idea. Came there and I was completely blessed with the, um, with the professors over there. We had. Dr. Hammond, Dr. Spring, you know what I mean? Uh, Dr. Poole, just some amazing people who invested in me. And um, I'm super, super, super thankful to Clemson. In fact, actually, I graduated in the centennial year. And just a little factoid, actually, my name actually is on the um, engraved over there on the pathway to Tillman Hall. So I always tell people, hey, I told my kids, hey, if you want to know really the dad really go to college, yeah, he goes, here it is. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a journey. I mean, and, and I think back, I mean, I don't know when the last time you were back to Pune was, but we, uh, I've spent time there uh, in a couple different roles over the years. I, I built an engineering center in Bangalore. Oh, oh uh, really? Yeah, in the uh, early 2000s, in the first internet, you know, 1.0 wave. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we had about 150 engineers in Bangalore, and, uh, and then we started a, a smaller satellite office in, in Pune. Um, it's always been interesting to me how much how different the the cities across India are and in their specialty. Like there seems to be this concentration in Pune of of 
a combination of computer science, electrical engineering, controls, you know, yes. Honeywell, the massive development center there. I mean, and I think some of it's probably spun out of that, but um, where Bangalore was much more about UI, UX, sort yeah. of, you know, that, that part of the stack. Um, yeah. Then we had, you know, a different engineering center in Chennai that was much more about sort of the, the productivity and automation and service element of it. So it was interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I, I've, I've, um, when I was my time at Yahoo, I had a big team in in, in Bangalore, and then I drove. Um, Yahoo had this huge initiative of diversification across geographies, and so I ended up picking up a team or a third party vendor. I don't make a partner at in in Pune actually that did a lot of my software over there called Persistent Systems. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Um, you know, as you. I mean, now that now that you're in more of a role around, you know, as you said earlier, not not in the early, we're we're not at the end of our careers, but we're not at the beginning anymore. Um, yeah. You no. Know, what what do you look for? I mean, if if because uh, you 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 have talked to about you know managing up and and how to how to build better relationships with the boss and and what what advice would you give to you know younger folks watching us or listening to us today in terms of you know, the characteristics that you look for when you're hiring or promoting or developing, um, you know, what stands out to you um, in early, you know, early associates or, or early teammates that uh, that really gets you excited about them or, you know, perhaps they should be thinking about, you know, working on themselves. Um, so I would say there's three characteristics and not because I'm going to talk about humility, but I think and I'm going to give the person the credit. Uh, so Patrick Lencioni has written a book called The Ideal Team Player, okay? And he describes the ideal team player as one that is humble, hungry, and smart. And um, it's interesting, actually. So he picked humble as number one, and I totally agree with him. And um, the way he describes humble actually is really interesting because, you know, it says, Lencioni says, uh, humble people don't have to have big egos or concerns about status. They're quick to point out the contributions of others and generally don't seek attention for their own. They define success collectively and not individually. People who are not humble are unable to be vulnerable or build trust and are incapable of engaging in honest conflict. And so uh, humility, I think, is extremely important. Uh, then I Think of hungry, and now hungry is kind of an interesting one. But I think there's another word for hungry that I've used in my thing. Uh, in my, uh, I have a leadership blog that I call initiative, right? Hey, are you going to take initiative, right? Um, you know, hungry people are people who are looking for more, more to do, more to learn, more responsibility. You know, they really have to push to work harder, right? They're self motivated. They're always thinking about the next step. Um, and then the last one is smarts, you know, um, I think being smart is not about one's necessarily intellectual capacity. In fact, I think, I think smart team players have good common sense about people right now. You may think, oh, actually, you know what? I only want to have two of these. So let's say if you have a humble and hungry person, well, in all fairness, you know, you know, you, you love, you know, Johnny over here, that's necessarily really nice person, super humble, does a lot, but the lights aren't on. So you really want to have a smart person. If you want, let's say if you have a, a smart person who's super hungry, 
but he, they make it all about themselves and not humble, you want that person on your team, right? And if you have somebody who's humble and smart, but they just sit around waiting for life to happen to them, you don't want that person. So I think the three qualities really capture what I would say. I, I talk to younger you know, managers, young executives, and what have you. My kids are going, hey, humble, hungry, smart. Really, really, really excellent art, um, virtues to have you. Great. That's that's a that's a great point. That's a, and we'll include that book too. I I, I haven't read that one, but I, I look forward to reading it because I, I love that tagline and we we actually use it a lot where I work today of trying which to which one uh, hungry humble and humble hungry really? yeah we uh, I've heard it many times but I actually didn't know which book it came from so now I know and I'm going to go read it uh, they, <laughs> awesome yeah, that's great. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things I always like to ask is is was there a, you know, was there a, what was your leadership moment where you sort of, I mean, was there a conscious decision on your part that said, hey, I, I love engineering, I love the work that I'm able to do, I, I, you know, I'm solving, I may be solving really interesting problems or or challenges, but you know, it's uh, I want to, I want to lead teams, I want to develop people. You know, I want to I want to build success in others, um, and that's you know more important as an objective for me than you know any particular challenge I might take on. You know, personally, was there a because for me it was a very like crystallizing moment. Like I remember it exactly, and you know, it, obviously it was a journey getting to that point, and then it's been a journey ever since trying to get better better at it every day. But but was there one of was there one of one of those points or moments in your career where you said, you know what, uh, I'm going to put the time in, the effort in, and 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 uh, you know, again, approach it with humility, and and try to really master this this leadership thing. Yeah, um, it's a good question. I you know, I haven't had a chance to think about it. I think there was a time I would say I think uh, where I decided intentionally to, you know. You, you can decide whether you want to go deep or wide in some ways, right? right. And um, I, I kind of did a maybe a self-reflective you know, part of the 360s going, what are you really good at? And, and so actually maybe it was 10 years ago or something like that going, you know what, let me just embrace who I am. And so if there was something that I would say is like, hey, I love people. I love organizational development. Um, I have love leadership. I love learning. In fact, you know, I'm in school, I'm back in school again right now doing a program on evidence-based coaching leadership, right? Where um, I'm learning more about the theory about leadership and theory about uh, people and what's the emotional intelligence and what's intersectionality. And is it really about people? In fact, it's funny because even at this time of my career, the first time people go, it's about, I learned a whole lot about hey, I'm going to give people advice, but actually really speaking, and it ties really into humility is, you know, people have the answer within themselves. And my job is to help them discover their best self. It takes humility on my part to be able to say, I don't want Doug to say, oh, Verendra's a great leader. Verendra's a great leader if Verendra can activate the best Doug and allow Doug to be the best person himself. So right there, I would say it's probably about 10, 15 years ago, I realized that's what I want to devote my life towards, inspiring people to be the best version of themselves. 
Well, and, I, and I'll, and I'll, I know we're, we're running a little close on time here, but I'll ask you this and that's because you, you, you mentioned this as well. And, and I think it's, it's something I've sort of helped coach many over the years to try and differentiate. And that is, you know, I would, I would ask you is, did you discover that it was that work that truly gave you joy? And for me, it was, and you, you've, you've, you've written a little bit about this the difference between happiness and joy. And I think, you know, for me, you know, I've, I've tried to, as, as, you know, helping others on this journey of self-awareness, which I think, you know, is again, some of the best help you can possibly give someone. And it's, and again, it's, you never have the answer for them, but it's a matter of helping them down that path. Right. Um, but it is, I try to uh, ask folks, you know, when, I, I find people spend a lot of time thinking about, um, you know, or angsting about difficult situations, about what made them feel bad about, you know, and it's sort of in this, in the, there's been, you know, psychology studies on this, that you know, as humans, we, we will, we'll, we'll go to 10 times the effort to avoid risk and pain and, and, and sort of those aspects as we will towards chasing, you know, upside. It's sort of like the lopsided, yeah. you know, it's why we all, you know, if we don't actually look at the statistics and we just use sort of gut instinct, we, we often make the wrong choice because we're, we're overly risk averse, but, you know, it seems like, you know, along that journey of self-awareness, um, there's not enough time spent on analyzing why you had a moment of joy and, and what got you there. And, yeah, you know, that's, you want to spend more time on that not more time worried about what went wrong or, you know, why you felt bad about something necessarily. Right. Yeah. 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 Now, in fact, um, there's another, um, you talked about joy and yeah, I've written some stuff on joy too. I, I think there's, there's studies from a brain science perspective. So I'm going to quote, I don't know if I'm going to quote him, but there's a person by the name of Dr. Jim Wilder. Okay. And he's done some amazing research on brain science. And he talks about this whole aspect of joy. I'm probably, so don't quote me on this, but bottom line is if we spend five minutes a day, three times a day, appreciating or recognizing what brought us joy, apparently it increases what is called the joy capacity in our brain. And the more we can do that, the more stressful situations we can handle. Now, what's an engineering executive talking about this? I believe because who wants to be around a non-joyful leader? Right. Like I want, I want to be around a joyful leader. And now this is not about someone who just is a happy, happy, happy person. Because remember, we talked about earlier, I want to be self-aware. And so, Doug, what's, how are you doing? But if I'm joyful and I'm self-confident and I'm humble, I care more about what was happening inside Doug. But if I can't manage my own emotions, I don't know what's happening, I don't think I can leave you. As they say, you can only take someone where you have been, not where you haven't been, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you with joy. Great. Well, I, I greatly appreciate it, Brenda. And, uh, you know, can't thank you enough for spending time with us and, and, and passing on and, and, uh, sharing your, your experiences. I, I like to say that, uh, you know, after, after many years and now decades of, of being out in the professional world and having some, uh, 
having the luxury of being able to lead in many different situations, you know, we, we've paid a lot of tuition and like to help us <laughs> maybe, maybe get a Absolutely. little bit ahead and not have to pay all the tuition we had that, um, you know, it's a, it's an important part of giving back and, and, and helping others succeed. And it, it's one of the things that, that truly gives me joy. And I was so glad to have you join us today and, and help in that. Absolutely excited. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. Engineering Leadership is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping engineers enhance their leadership skills. You can download resources to accelerate your leadership skills by going to www.engineering-leadership.com.